Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 30 degrees outside. It is February 1st. Okay, this is time for a little bit of a party because I, I understand if you live in Wisconsin, you have to be willing to accept cold weather and long winters. And, you know, actually we had a very, very mild December until late, and then you had lots of cold and lots of snow, and then it's been mild for the last couple of weeks. But today is February 1st, and that means... Well, when it comes to winter, we're kind of on the downhill slide. February is a short month, so uh, there's not any big snowstorms in the forecast for the next week or so. I'm supposed to get cold for a day or two, but that's not going to be a long-time cold snap, and you're not talking about 20 and 30 degrees below zero. So I am. I have reason for optimism. I have reason for optimism. Groundhog Day is coming up. All those types of things. Pitchers and catchers report at the end of this month. Looks like spring is on the horizon, so hang in there. We are getting better. And if you're one of those people who do love winter, well, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that is that is just the way it works. All right, we start off today's program like we start off every program. I call it three big things, things that I think you should know to be able to discuss at the coffee closet or the lunch table or with your colleagues or just you know talking at the gym or whatever. The big story today that is dominating all the news is, of course, the news yesterday that President Trump has decided to appoint a 49-year-old appeals court judge named Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court to replace the late Justice Antonin Scalia. This, I think it would be fair to say that during the election, when we discussed all the different concerns that conservatives or moderates had with, with Donald Trump, one of the, the the most I think the most compelling argument that was made in favor of voting for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton was the argument that hey there there is a Supreme Court appointment to fill Scalia's slot was vacant. In addition to that, you know you have three other justices who are in their late seventies or early eighties. And if you want to talk about a legacy, if you want to talk about affecting the direction of the country. And the way presidents do it, it is primarily long-term through their appointments to the Supreme Court. And that was always one of the arguments. Do you want Hillary Clinton making the Supreme Court appointment, or do you want Donald Trump making the Supreme Court appointment? And one of the concerns that some of us who weren't necessarily in the Trump camp had was, well, okay, I understand what you're saying about Hillary Clinton, but how do you know exactly who Donald Trump is going to appoint? Well, let me just say this at the start. If there was anybody looking for justification for voting for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton um, and was concerned about the Supreme Court appointment, this this appointment is a home run. This appointment is a, a home run. You are talking about somebody who is, first of all, 49 years old. So if confirmed, will be on the bench presumably for a long time. I understand that you can walk out tomorrow and get hit by a bus, but presumably will be on the bench for decades. He is somebody that is a solid, solid conservative justice, but not a fringe player. 
So solid conservative justice. Also, he is somebody who believes in interpreting the law as opposed to making the law, which is what you look for. He has an incredible background. He was a law clerk for Justice Kennedy. Um, he, I think most of the commentators have looked at the different opinions that he's written since he's been on the appellate court. And, and what you find is I think people say that this guy is he, he's going to be somewhere between Scalia and Justice Kennedy. Um, it, it is, for all intents and purposes, in my opinion, it is an absolute and total home run. He is not a controversial judge in and of himself. When he was appointed to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, what, a decade or so ago, he he was approved by a voice vote. I mean, it was so non-controversial that you didn't even have, you know, this wasn't something where there were these lengthy hearings and lengthy fights. It was just a non-controversial thing, a voice vote. So essentially unanimous approval. And there's really nothing that he has done since then that would make him controversial. This this is an appointment that should be confirmed. Now, I understand if you're a liberal Democrat, he's not a liberal Democrat. I, I get that. But as far as a mainstream conservative judge who you know is now going to be the, the next justice of the Supreme Court, this is a winner of a pick. All right, which brings us to the practical issue that is going on now. Democrats are mad. They're, they're mad that Donald Trump won the election. They are mad that when Barack Obama was the president, even though Republicans controlled the U.S. Senate, they're mad that the Republican majority in the Senate did not give Uh, Merrick Garland, who was nominated by Barack Obama to replace Scalia. They're mad that the Republicans didn't give him a vote. So they're angry, angry, angry. And because you have people that are out there protesting, you've got all these protesters that are showing up outside the offices of Democratic lawmakers all around the country saying it is time for obstruction. It doesn't matter who this guy is. You cannot do anything to support Donald Trump, you have to do everything you can to try to block the Trump nomination. That, that's, that's sort of epitomized. If you want to read one, one editorial or one thought about this, and you know, we've got links to some of these stories up at WTMJ.com on our website, the three big things. The, the New York Times, here's their editorial today, and it gives you an idea. Neil Gorsuch, the nominee for a stolen seat. It's been almost a year since Senate Republicans took an empty Supreme Court seat hostage, discarding a constitutional duty that both parties have honored throughout American history and hobbling an entire branch of government for partisan gain. President Trump had the great opportunity to repair some of that damage by nominating a moderate candidate for the vacancy. Instead, he chose Neil Gorsuch, a conservative judge from the Federal Court of Appeals, whose jurisprudence and writing style are often compared to those of Justice Scalia. Yeah, he's replacing Scalia with somebody who they think might be Scalia. If Judge Gorsuch is confirmed, the court will once again have a majority of justices appointed by Republican presidents, as it has for nearly half a century. For starters, this spells big trouble for private sector labor unions, environmental regulations, and women's access to contraception. If Trump gets the chance to name another justice, the consequences could be much more dire. In normal times, 
Judge Gorsuch, a widely respected and at 49 relatively young judge with a reliably conservative voting record, would be an obvious choice for a Republican president. But these are not normal times. And then it goes on and on and on. Now, under Senate rules, which can, in fact, be changed, and Harry Reid, who used to run the U.S. Senate, Harry Reid changed the rules when it came to appointee uh, appointees to the other other federal courts, federal circuit court judge, federal appeals court judge. It used to be that you needed 60 votes to be able to stop a filibuster. Reid changed the rules that said a simple majority vote is all you need to confirm circuit judges or appeals court judges. Right now, 52 Republicans, 48 Democrats. The filibuster rule still applies to the Supreme Court nominees. So theoretically... Uh, If Democrats decide, regardless of this guy's qualifications, they are just going to dig in their heels and not give him a vote, they could theoretically block the appointment moving forward by just trying to filibuster this. Well, rules have been changed in the past, and rules can be changed again. I know there's a lot of Republican senators, including Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who are reluctant to continue changing the rules. But it appears very clear that at least some Democrats in the Senate and a lot of Democratic supporters just want to see this nomination blocked, not because the guy's not qualified, but just because he was appointed by Donald Trump. And it wouldn't matter if it was Neil Gorsuch or Jeff Wagner or Hondo or whoever, they were going to block whoever it is. And it may very well be that the only way that that can be avoided is by changing the Senate rules to allow a simple up or down vote. All right, big story number one, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Should the Republicans do whatever it takes to get this man appointed to the Supreme Court bench? And if that means following the path of Harry Reid and changing the rules to allow a simple up or down vote, do you want to see that happen? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. 845 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 847 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. For for any conservative out there, I, I think it is very clear that the nomination of Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court to replace the late Justice Antonin Scalia is a home run. He's a solid conservative judge. He's not on the fringe incredibly well-respected, great bona fides. But because he is Donald Trump's appointment, it appears clear that there's at least some Democrats and their allies that are going to do everything they possibly can to prevent this man from getting onto the Supreme Court. And it wouldn't have made any difference who it was. That's the strategy. USA Today has this piece written by one of their columnists. Time for outrageous obstruction against Gorsuch. A popular vote loser chose him for a stolen Supreme Court state seat, no more business as usual. It's time for the sweet resistance we're seeing in the streets to start showing up in the U.S. Senate. Democrats in the chamber have the votes to hold up exactly one major appointment from President Trump without any Republican help. And they should fight Neil Gorsuch's nomination to the Supreme Court with every vote they've got, even if it means ending the ability to filibuster any high court nominations in the future. They have no choice. This is an appointment by the biggest popular vote loser. That's the kind of, well, he's not a legitimate president um, in the modern era to fill a stolen seat. So it's all this bitterness. Well, if they're not going to give him an up or down vote, 
Republicans can simply say, okay, we're going to change the rules, we're going to do away with the filibuster, like Harry Reid did with the appointments of appellate court judges and circuit court judges. All right, if the Democrats rely on this strategy to try to deny this guy a vote, should they, Republicans who have the majority simply change the rules? 414-799-1620. John in Wauwatosa. John, you're first. Good morning. Hey, uh, I was just calling the screener. Um, I don't think you should keep should just keep things the way they are right now because 60-volt majority is really the only firewall that Senate has. But of course, Harry, but Harry Reid's already changed that. That sixty-vote firewall, went, you know, went that's away true. for other for Democratic appointments. Um, that's so true. However, if you wait, if okay, let's go forward about two years, and well, whatever the next next round of Senate, um, right? Elections are, you know, you know, whatever you know. What basically, let's say, you know, let's say something happens. And the and the Republicans lose the majority. Mm-hmm. If you take away that firewall, then you know there's there's going to be mm-hmm. very there's no chance of any kind of of obstruction that's going to be needed because well well, well let me ask you this John do, do, don't you think don't you think that if the in the last two years of the Obama administration that if the Democrats had the majority in the U.S. Senate and they were trying to get through one of Obama's picks to the court, like Merrick Garland, don't you think that they would have then changed the rules and expanded that? I mean, once you start changing the rules, I, I don't know, have, haven't you completely changed the game? So why would Republicans play with their, you know, one hand tied behind their back? Uh, that's a good, good point, but I just, it, as of right now, I guess with, with Trump just, you know, assuming the presidency, mm-hmm. Um, it's a little, I don't know, I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little skittish right now, because let's say he's, you know, if he's, if he was going to be solid there for, well, obviously he's going to be there for four years, right? uh, barring any, barring any unforeseen issues. Um, but if he's only a one-term president, well, uh, well, okay, well, but let me ask you, I mean, right now you've got one vacancy on the Supreme Court, chances are... In the next three years, three of the justices are four, three of the justices are either in their late seventies or early eighties. There's probably going to be one, maybe two more vacancies. Are, are you going to let the Democrats simply say we hate Donald Trump, so we're going to block any nominee, regardless of of their merits? Now, I'm not saying if, if he nominates some fringe candidate, I get it, but th- this guy is not a fringe type of candidate. Um, are, if if it takes changing the rules to get somebody appointed, is it, can we really go for years without having any movement on the Supreme Court? True, I don't like. I don't like. It, 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 either way, this is it's, it's a nasty situation. It, it is. No, thanks. For, no, it, it, it is a nasty situation I, either way. There, there's no question about it. And but you're, you're you're starting to see the tone in these stories I was alluding to. He's not a legitimate president because he lost the popular vote. And this is a stolen seat because the Republicans, when they were in the majority, you know, didn't confirm Merrick Garland. So the Democrats need to do exactly the same thing. And if this means the Supreme Court vacancies stay open for years, well, the vacancies stay open for years. Well, I, sorry. I mean, if. If, in this particular case, you've got a Republican majority in the Senate, I think changing the filibuster rules should be the last thing you consider. But if it becomes apparent 
that you're going to have Democrats that are just going to simply obstruct the process for the sake of obstructing the process when they are in the minority, then I think you have to change the rules. Um, Walt in Appleton. Walt, you're in 620 WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Walt. So I, I had to I had to call in just because of that last caller. You're talking about 30 years, even if even if like you said, there, there's a possibility that one, possibly two spots open up while in the, the first right. term. Right away, you're already talking about 30 years with potentially he'd be 79. You know, right? You guys, the guy's 49 years old. Regardless of whether or not one or two more spots open up, you're talking about having to replace a justice. You know, lion of the laws was said yesterday. Scalia, you have to replace him with a like a, 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 right. a, a person like that, and you can't. People are going, well, this. What happens when they're in power? Well, and I told the screener so the same thing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she goes, if the Democrats are in power, you're going to get another. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. going to get another one anyways. You have to get what what you have while you have it. All this stuff. It's, the rules have already been changed for lower appellate courts. There's absolutely no reason. Right. Given the, the current base of the Democrats and their obstructions, as the article you read, that's their that's their base is moving farther to that left. Right, and they're pushing. I mean, there, there were demonstrators outside of Chuck Schumer's office yesterday demanding, it, it was like, you have to pressure the Democratic caucus. What are they doing voting for any of Trump's uh, cabinet nominees? They have to do everything they can to fight Donald Trump any way they can, as opposed to just kind of picking their battles. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I think it is completely fair to, to have hearings and to vet uh, this justice, this potential justice, to make sure that he's the real thing and that he's qualified. And, and that's fair. But if you're just going to say, we're not going to give him a vote, period, because, well, because even though you're the party in power and even though we have a Republican president, we're not going to do it. Well, okay, you'd want to take your ball and go home. Fine, do it. But then don't be surprised if um, the world keeps turning. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's I think, my biggest issue is when you see this as it's going, all they're doing is holding the pro- every process up. So you can't, if you have the power to change it, you need to, to change that. Right. Now, think, and now it is possible, it, it is possible that some Democrats will break ranks. And what I there's there's four Democrats who are up in 2018 who are running in states that Donald Trump won, um, North Dakota, Indiana. Got to think of through the other two, but there there are there are still some moderate Democrats, and so I, I know that there's a big advertising blitz in some of those states. It's going to be launched. So some of these, there, there are some people who are running in potentially red states who might be inclined to switch and, and not go along with the filibuster. And again, by the way, I, I think you know you you have you have to have a full hearing. I have no problem with asking him tough questions, and I'm sure that there's some people who are going to vote against him simply on on principle. But what you have is a solid, mainstream, conservative jurist who is the type of person that you would expect a Republican president to appoint. And I, I think it is important that he be confirmed. I understand the anger and the angst of the left, but this this might not be the the one where you want to dig in your heels. I, I'm I'm just saying, there because this doesn't really. I mean, this is replacing Scalia. Like the last caller was talking about, you know, maybe maybe when it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if she retires or steps down while Trump is still president, you know, there you have a real change in the ideological balance of the court. But 
I, I firmly believe Republicans need to do whatever they need to do to get this guy confirmed in a reasonable period of time. And if that means pulling a Harry Reid and continuing to change the rules to do away with the filibuster, that's what they need to do. It's 8.56. Coming up next, her child is dead. She has been charged with a crime. Is this adding insult to injury? Stick around. We're right in the middle of our three big things. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Later today, Scott Walker is going to be rolling out an initiative which would expand the low-income tax credit to uh, more of the working poor. And it's going to be interesting to see how this is viewed by the left, by the loyal opposition, and by the media. This was back in 2011. This was a program. It's a tax credit for the working poor. It was a program that in an effort to try to get the budget in line um, – Walker pushed for cutting it, and it was cut because at the time, um, some of the benefits that were being paid were some of the highest in in the nation. So it was cut. Now, I think reflecting um, sort of the change in priorities, now that the budget is more in line, and now that uh, I think Governor Walker wants to encourage welfare reform and more people working, now he's saying, okay, five years later, maybe it's time to reinstitute this credit. And you, you know the argument's going to be, oh, here, here he's, a, he's a flip-flopper, and we perhaps will talk about this a little bit later, but it's really not so much that. It's that times change and priorities change. And it may have been five years ago exactly the right thing to do in an effort to try to get the budget in line to cut some of these different programs. Now, five years later, Maybe it's time when your budget is in line and now your priority is, again, welfare reform and trying to encourage more people to get off the dole and more people to work. You know, maybe it's time to look at, I don't know, um, not penalizing low-income married couples who work or giving incentives for people to try to work. So that's what Governor Walker is all about doing. I think it's a good initiative. Like I say, some people are going to be denouncing it as being a flip-flop. I just see it as, hey, times change, and maybe something's the right thing to do. Just because it was the right thing to do five years ago doesn't mean you can't reverse it five years later and not be consistent. But he's going to be talking about that later today, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to discuss it either with you or with him um, today or tomorrow on the program. All right, we're right in the middle of our segment that we start every show off with, our three big things. Here's story number two. A 39-year-old mother has now been charged with second-degree recklessly endangering safety as the result of the death of her two-year-old son. Um, There's a story about this in the paper. I have the criminal complaint in my hand. Uh, Essentially, this lady, the 39-year-old lady, her life is kind of a train wreck. I think that would be fair to say. Um, She apparently, she has, has a total of six children, according to the complaint, four of which have been taken from her by Child Protective Services in the past. There are two children who were living with her at the time of this incident a week ago or so. One is a two-year-old child. One is a four-year-old child. The conditions in the apartment that they were living in are appalling. The woman has a number of, it must be medical conditions, because she was prescribed, according to the complaint, multiple different prescription medications including 
oxycodone, and then a number of other kind of heavy-duty prescription drugs. According to the complaint, uh, the prescription for, for example, for the oxycodone, which is a high-powered sort of opiate, um, was just filled on January 24th for 90 pills. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Um, having, I mean, it's, it's no secret, you know, when my late wife was diagnosed with cancer, I mean, she would get, you know, we she would get, that oxy was one of the things that she was prescribed, and, and bless her heart, she just, up until the end, she just resisted taking it because how addictive it was. But in, in those cases, I thought, I thought the only time you could get, like, a prescription of 90 pills was if you... For example, we're a terminal cancer patient. I, I just because it's just they, they don't typically at least they're not supposed to give this this type of stuff out. Because I remember like in the beginning, sometimes we, we would only get like 10 pills and then you'd have to call the insurance company and then they'd look at the diagnosis and they'd approve 90. But OK, so this woman, she, she's got a ton of of pills, including, you know, lots of prescriptions uh, for lots of heavy duty drugs. So according to the criminal complaint, the story is. The night before the child dies, she goes to the casino with with her mother. Um, her brother is watching the kids. She comes back. She picks up the kids. Um, she lets them go out and play, run around outside to get some energy out. Um, this is a two and a four year old at like twelve forty a.m. Now, now, Hondo, you have a young child. Would would you? I'm just as an aside. Would you let your kid go out? And run around outside your house at twelve forty in the morning to get energy out. No, of course not. Okay, so right. So then, what happens is the kids go to the apartment. She goes to sleep. The kids go to sleep. She says she wakes up a couple times to sort of check on them, and everything seems to be okay. And then goes back to sleep. Ultimately, what ends up happening, and again, I'm, I'm trying to put two and two together with this, but it appears that sometime. During the day, you've got a four-year-old and you've got a two-year-old. They, the kids, get into her purse um, or get into the medicine cabinet. But I think it's the purse where there, there's all these drugs. And the two-year-old apparently ingests a bunch of these drugs, and the two-year-old dies of a drug overdose. I mean, horrible story, but um, according to the criminal complaint, you know, they say that the, the, the pills were... Um, I, I guess in a situation where they were, you know, in access, they were they were in her purse, for example. Um, the purse, she apparently at one point in time, she finds the four-year-old playing with it. She takes the purse and leaves it on the bed where the two-year-old is before going back to sleep. Um, the Apparently, two of the pill bottles and one of the persons was sealed with caps flipped over rather than with the child safety seal. And again, the theory is these kids got into mom's purse. There were all these heavy-duty drugs. Mom is asleep. One of the kids ingests the pills and dies of a drug overdose. That's the theory of the prosecution. Now, this is horrible because you've got a two-year-old who is now dead. This isn't a situation where you had a mother that intentionally decided to poison the children. This is a situation where you have a mother who is taking these various pills and falls asleep, and then the kids get in her purse. Should this be a crime? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. This is a Class G felony. It carries a penalty of up to 10 years in prison, um, recklessly endangering the safety. And again, the prosecution's theory is um, she left these prescription pills in a position where the, the children could get a hold of them 
one or both of the kids did, and one of the kids is dead. Should this be a crime, or is the fact that here you have this mother who is now, through her, what I think you'd have to argue negligence, lost her two-year-old, do you gain anything by prosecuting her? Is the loss of the two-year-old child penalty enough? Does the system need to step in with criminal charges? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. We discuss next. It's 916, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. We're right in the middle of three big things. This this is a prosecution. The DA's office just issued charges. 39-year-old mom whose life is sounds like it's kind of a train wreck. She's got a 4-year-old and a 2-year-old at her apartment. The apartment conditions are, are, are sort of deplorable. Um, she's on all sorts of prescription drugs. She's apparently prescri- legally prescribed drugs, but heavy-duty stuff. She goes to bed. The kids are in the same room, or at least the kids have one the 2-year-old sleep on her bed, um, the two and the four-year-old get access to her purse where she's got some of these pills, and the two-year-old apparently takes a bunch of the pills and dies of a drug overdose. She has now been charged. 414-799-1620. Keith and Two Rivers. Keith, good morning. Now, you know, as, as tragic as it is, I don't think it should be a crime. Um, it's not like it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I read these stories too. You know, and I'm a gun owner, so these stories, you know, about kids that finding mom and dad's handgun, you know, shooting her brother, or sister, or shooting mom. I mean, we had a story not that long ago where um, a lady borrowed a car from a security guard, and the gun was underneath the underneath the seat, and the kid reached reached down and grabbed the gun and shot the mom. Right. To see, see the car. It's it, it it's really a tragedy. And, you know, well, see, that was the question yeah. I was going to ask you. Let, let, let's take the pills out of it. Let's say it's a situation where you have um, a woman who's living with a two- and a four-year-old, and she does have a, a handgun and leaves leaves a loaded handgun in a position where the children can get access to it, and they do, and one of the kids gets shot. You don't believe that that should be a crime in that case? Well, you know, I, I think everything has, has to be looked at, you know, un, under the, the mm-hmm. circumstances and see, you know, what was there neglect, you know, what was the handgun loaded, you know, was it was, mm-hmm. a, was it under a pillow, you know, was there one in the chamber, was was mm-hmm. it in a, a nightstand, you know, what was there one in the chamber, um, you know, no matter how I look at it, you know, we all have to be safe. Like I, I keep all my my guns locked right. up in a safe, and I keep my ammo right. separate. Okay, but here we're talking about drugs. I mean, if you, yep. I mean, if you, if you have prescription drugs or, or any sort of drugs around your house and you've got small children do you think you think do you think if you don't childproof your house if you put it in a situation where you go to sleep and your kid can drink bleach or your kid can get access to like in this case yep. pills do you think that should be a crime if they do or is it just just bad luck it, I, I just think it, it, it's just a tragic accident uh-huh. you know is what it is. even though I, I take steps you know to make sure because I, sure. I have you know younger children and I put stuff up you know, where, where I know that they, you know, prescription drugs get, sure. get put up in a medicine cabinet or in my my uh, laundry bin or right. or wherever. You know, I mean, to, just to keep it away. Right, which you, know, you, you have to do. Okay, kids. well, thanks for calling. See, I guess, I mean, yeah, it, it is an accident to the extent that this is not something that, that she intended. But I guess I do liken this to, to the, the gun sort of situation. I mean, I think if you're going to have children, you have a responsibility to make sure that the house is safe. I think you I think it it is criminal negligence. If for example, you know you've got a, a handgun 
that's loaded and that the kids can get access to it and something bad happens. And I would lump the same thing in with the prescription pills type of thing. You know, if, if you're going to have, you know, heavy duty drugs around the house, and in this case, these were prescribed drugs. Yeah, I think you have to keep them out of the reach of children. And if if you don't, I mean, the idea that, hey, I'm just I'm going to keep these in my purse and they're not in childproof containers and my kids are going to play with my purse. OK, it, it is a reasonably foreseeable thing to me that, for example, if children start you know playing with mom's purse and mom has things, whether it's a gun or whether it's in this case prescription pills that are in the purse. Yeah. And I, I think it is a reasonably foreseeable thing that, well, gee, the kids might take those pills. And that's why. If that happens, yes, it is an accident to the extent that you didn't intend it, uh, but but you cannot do that. And the reality here is you've got a two-year-old child who is dead, again, if the criminal pl- complaint is correct, because the child was able to gain access to prescription drugs that were in the care, custody, and control of the mom. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And, yeah, how long do you send the mom to jail for? Oh, that's a different story. I mean, that's – but if she is conv- – I have no trouble at all, you know, with with bringing charges in connection with a case like this because you've got a two-year-old kid who is dead – as a result, if this conduct is like the complaint says, as a result of the behavior of the mother. Claudette in Brookfield. Claudette, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think? Well, the first thing that I thought, I have five children. Uh, they're older now, but when they were young, I never got to sleep when they were awake. Right. I, I didn't hear the beginning of your conversation. I got in my car mm-hmm. kind of late, but but if they're awake... I'm awake. I'm right there. Yep. So I don't know if she worked all night and didn't have she, help, and I know it was a tragic accident. She went to a casino. <laughs> she, she went. Oh. She went to a casino, and then came back and was tired after going to the oh. casino. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well. <laughs> right. It, no. It, it still but, is a tragic accident, yeah. but she's got to be there to take care of her kids. Right. Period. Well, right, and also, I mean, my, my guess is, Claudette, it's not just that, but in, in your house raising five kids, you, you, you make, there, look, there's certain stuff, there's certain things that you, you can't, you, you can't have, when you've got a two and a four year old, you know, oh, you, right. you can't, you can't have, you can't have that, uh, the, the bleach under the kitchen cabinet if the cap- right. cabinet's unlocked, because the kids are going to get into it. You can't have right. your prescription drugs lying around in a situation right. where the you kids can get in. You have to take some precautions. Yeah. You have to take some precautions. So, And, I mean, I guess it's only by the grace of God that nothing like that ever happened to me, but you have to take right. some precautions. Yeah, no, I think, see, that, and that's, I mean, that, that's the type of thing. And, again, I, I understand I don't, I'm not one of these people that says that I think you can watch kids 24-7, and I understand that there are times when just bad things end up happening. But, you know, ha- having said that, if you've got a purse that's full of prescription drugs, and you're, you're, you've got to do something to make sure that your two- and your four-year-old aren't going to get a hold of your purse while you're sleeping and play with it, knowing that, you know, if they get into it, they're, they're going to be able to, you know, eat it. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Stephanie in Kenosha. Stephanie, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. What do you think? Um, I think, it was, well, I, it's very tragic, and I'm sorry for her loss. However, I want to say yes with the charges, 
the reason I want to say no is what if the child has a hold of like a small object throughout the house? Mm-hmm. Something broke, you know, something broke on the couch or whatever, mm-hmm. and the child choked and died. Would that be, the, I mean, could you get charges for that? I guess you, you could, know, but I mean, I, I go back to what our first caller was saying. I guess I, I, I would argue that there's, you, I would be looking at foreseeability. And I guess I would say prescription drugs that kids could get into are, are closer to a gun than it would be yeah. to, you know, okay, you, right, the, the child gets access to a paper clip and swallows it and, and chokes. I mean, I, I guess I would say, well, okay, maybe you shouldn't have given them access to the paper clip, but you wouldn't necessarily think they're going to die. Access to guns, prescription drugs, and things like that, I guess I see it as a little bit different. But I do take your point. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I, I understand that there, there is that kind of slippery slope that you want to say, well, all right, what, what happens? You're asleep and the child falls down the stairs, you know, um, gets out of the bed, opens up the door, falls down the stairs. You know, are, are you going to criminally charge him for that? And my answer would be probably not. But I mean, I, I would look at I would be looking at what happened. What was it actually? And again, I, I'd say access to prescription drugs, access to loaded firearms, things like that with two- and four-year-olds, I would view that as being, you know, different than these other things. How long, if she is convicted, do you put her in prison? That's, of course, a more difficult story, and I understand that she's got to live with the fact that if the allegations are correct, it's her negligence that led to the death of her two-year-old son. But I do think there needs to be penalties. All right. Big story number three, huge controversy at UW-Madison over criminal background checks, not for employees, but for prospective students. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 927. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. As President Donald Trump announces his Supreme Court nominee, what are the chances of a smooth and easy confirmation? Get the latest during WTMJ today at twelve oh seven. As we talked about before, my prediction would be the chances of a smooth and easy confirmation. Slim and none, and Slim is on a bus heading out of town. That would be the idea. And again, you got to keep in mind this. This does not matter. It doesn't matter who Donald Trump appointed. I mean, anybody that Donald Trump appointed that was a moderately conservative justice, and Neil Gorsuch is a home run. There's just no question about it. But anybody that he appointed, it, it doesn't matter whether the guy is qualified or the gal would be qualified. That doesn't matter. It's just the fact that there is now this idea that anything Trump does has to be awful, and we have to resist, 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 and that's fine. The problem is when you have a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, uh, they can follow the Harry Reid approach, and they can change the rules if the Democrats decide they're just going to be complete obstructionists. So um, it's not going to be a smooth and easy confirmation, but based on everything that's known now, he will, in fact, be confirmed. I don't think there's any question about that, although the liberals are going to dig in their heels and do everything they possibly can to stop it. All right. I'm fascinated by big story number three. Now, UW has been getting a little bit of heat. Well, actually, a lot of heat, because there there is a student who, while on campus, has apparently been trying to start a local chapter of the American Freedom Party. Um, the American Freedom Party is a political party, and the allegations are this is one of these kind of alt-right things with deep ties to white supremacism, according to the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center. So he's trying to start this 
this political party on campus and he's getting a lot of blowback because people say this is racist, et cetera, et cetera. The background of the student is that he had been convicted within the last decade of setting fires at two predominantly black churches. So here you have somebody who's got a felony conviction for essentially arson, who's now out there trying to start this political party. Now, the convictions were a number of years ago. UW, as a matter of policy, does not run criminal background checks on applicants, right? So they just do not. So the other day, I think in response and in reaction to the fact that you have somebody, number one, who's trying to start this this party, this political party that allegedly has ties to white supremacism. So you've got that issue. And the fact that the guy has felony convictions causes the the UW chancellor, um, you know, Rebecca Blank, to come out and say, you know, I, I think the Board of Regents needs to rethink its policy um, barring criminal background checks from the student admission process. So right now, they don't do background checks on people who apply. So presumably this guy, with the, as long as he's served his time and he's out of jail, you know, he, it, it doesn't come up that he's been convicted of, of arson. They, they don't do background checks. So she says, hey, maybe we need to take a look at whether or not, as part of the application process, maybe we should be checking to determine if, Gosh, you know, we, we have people that were getting ready to admit to the campus who have committed various and sundry crimes, and maybe we should consider that. Well, in, in the, the, the sort of the weird twist, and again, she's doing this because she's concerned that UW has admitted somebody who might be a white supremacist who might have been, who, you know, who was involved in, like, burning down black churches. So that's what she is concerned about. That's the motivation of it. Well, as soon as she says, hey, maybe we should start taking a look at background checks, you get a, a group that emerges. And again, this is the category of, of no good deed goes unpunished. The Something calling themselves the Black Liberation Action Coalition starts organizing a protest about the chancellor going to the Board of Regents to say maybe we should reconsider our admissions policy. So this group says checks of, of if you started doing background checks, you know, we think that would disproportionately affect student applicants of of color, and so, in other words, um, we think that uh, this would it would make it more difficult if you started, you know, looking at you know the criminal records of students and considering that as part of the application process. We think that would make it more difficult for minority students to get in, particularly black students, because there's a greater chance that a black student is going to have a criminal record than a white student. So, you know, we don't want you to look, we don't want you to run criminal background checks of potential students. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I confess, I didn't realize that they didn't run background checks on, on potential students. I guess I'm, my, my niece just applied to college, got accepted at a bunch of colleges, and I'm, I guess, I mean, I'm sure they didn't run a background check on her, but, I mean, it is a criminal record. If somebody has a, a criminal record, is that a valid consideration for deciding whether you're going to admit them to a college campus? And I guess in, in particular, if somebody's got a conviction for, I don't know, burning down black churches, 
might that be something that you want to take into consideration before you accept them to campus, to college, regardless of what the college is? I mean, is it unreasonable? Would it be unreasonable to do background checks of people who apply to colleges? 414-799-1620, or to consider whether or not they have a criminal record and what that criminal record is. We discuss next. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I guess it would seem to me that, I don't know, if, if I had a kid on a college campus, I, 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 would not, I would not mind if there was at least some, some sort of determination to determine whether or not people that were in his or her entering class, well, had, had, been, had committed serious crimes at some point in time in their life. We discuss. Uh, if you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the number. 941, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, I don't agree with Rebecca Blank. She's the, the chair. I mean, she's the, she runs UW. But, but she is now getting all sorts of criticism for coming out and saying to the Board of Regents, you know, um, we, we, we maybe should not be completely ignorant of somebody who's applying to school to their felony record. Now, the example is they now have somebody who was convicted of a felony of burning black churches who's on campus who's trying to organize this, what is allegedly a white supremacist political party, and there's all these protests. But she's saying, hey, maybe we should start doing some sort of background check to know who it is that we're actually admitting. Of course, you've got one of the, the black action groups on Madison campus are saying, no, no, you, you can't do this because this will disproportionately affect people of color because they're more likely to have criminal records. I mean, is it unreasonable to, if not run a background check, at, at least inquire into a potential applicant's background as to you know whether they've not they've been convicted of a felony or a serious crime? 414-799-1620. Let's start with... Uh, Let's see. Amy in Manitowoc. Amy, good morning. Good morning. I'm listening to this, and I'm wondering, most undergrads are under 18 when they apply, Mm -hmm. I think, and that when you show up, they apply usually, you know, their junior year or uh, when they're still 17. How how could the university control that then? Well, I mean, I guess, well, first of all, like, for example, I mean, some of them are over 18 or some of them as juveniles have been waived into adult courts. So, I mean, they have the felony records. You're right. The juvenile, it would be difficult if they were convicted of crimes as a juvenile and treated in juvenile court, that probably would not show up. Um, In the case of this guy, it was as an adult that he was caught. Um, So you wouldn't necessarily winnow out everybody by background checks. But what about asking a question? I mean, what about asking a question? Have you ever been convicted of a serious crime or something like that on the application Um, and expecting the people to disclose? Would that be wrong? Well, I'm not for that, and I have children in the university system right now, and certainly I don't want them, you know, with a roommate that's a felon. Right. But um, I'm just thinking generally... I just think it would be very difficult for the university to control because of what shows up and what if they're there and then it, then right. it happens and they they don't realize that the ch- the student is in court with right. you know sure. fighting but, against uh, the okay felony. but the flip side I of that think it's setting up I think it's setting up the university for failure yeah. on this. Yeah, but the flip side of it, Amy, is that okay? You you got kids in the university system. You know, what if it turns out that. You find out that your daughter or your son's roommate has a felony conviction for, you know, sexual assault or something like that. You're not going to be happy that you didn't know that. 
No, I, I truly, I wouldn't. Yeah. But I think, you know, I need more information and and to judge that. But that's that was just my concern of. I think it's going to be very difficult for the university to control. Right? How many would you, how many would applying. you catch? Right? No, they, and I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. That's kind of the devil in the detail. I guess I. Um, but they don't ask criminal record at all. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Byron in West Dallas. Byron, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, sir. What do you think? I think, you know, I mean, I used to run restaurants, and the basic application says, have you been convicted of any felonies um, in the past five years? Right. I think something like that would make sense, because you alluded to the sexual um, you know, misconduct. Exactly. I mean, do you want your child dorming in a dorm you know, two, three kids to a dorm that's been convicted of a felony rape or something along those lines. Right. Now, what, and again, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that I think just because somebody checks the box and says, yes, they've been convicted of, of a crime, that means you deny them admission to the university. But it is something that might be worth some follow-up. I'm thinking, okay, you're right. If somebody's been convicted, if somebody's applying as a as a 27 year old student and they did five years in prison, um, I don't know for sexual assault. Um, you you might that might be something that's relevant. I would think, and it might be something that the other students would want to know. Just saying. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and, and thanks. For, and again, there, there's there's different crimes, and I understand. I understand that people change, and I'm not saying that automatically, just because you do a background check and it turns out that, okay, somebody, you, you've got somebody who's 30 years old that's applying to you know UW who was convicted of selling some pot when they were 18, that that means that they are disqualified. But particularly when we're talking about the areas of violent crimes and things like that, I would think the other students would want to know. I would think that the other parents would want to know about this. Um, Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I actually do want to weigh in on sure. uh, on that topic, people with prior felony convictions. I'm a professional woman. My kids were raised in private Catholic school. They uh, Two of the three went to college. One of them chose to move to another state, got into a financial bind, um, did something really, really stupid with a check cashing. Check the cash, cast a check that was not his, which is a felony in the state he was in. Um, now here he is five years later. Jobs are very, very hard to come by. Um, really the only way that he's got to improve his life is if he goes back to school. Right. And when you start checking the box on college applications now, and maybe they're going to take the top 100 or the top 1,000 or the top 10,000, and the guys that have checked that box now aren't going to be admitted to college. You're you are uh, you're creating another societal problem that I think really needs to be um, considered. Well, okay. In, in the, the case of, of your child, you're talking about a a, 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 a quote unquote white collar crime, you know, stealing some money in a in a check cashing thing. But what what about you know what about a crime of violence? What about a crime of sexual assault? What about you know? something you know in, involving you know armed robbery and things like that isn't don't you think that's something that would be relevant i mean wouldn't you want to know if your kid's roommate you know just had gotten out of prison three years ago f- after you know doing three years for armed robbery i would i would want to know and i absolutely get where the concerns are coming from but i don't know how you do the one without doing the other i don't mm-hmm. know how you think you that if, sure if you that had that box it would you think that that there they, they would be incapable of making the distinction between, okay, a, a check cashing scheme four years ago versus 
a, a sexual yeah. assault that you did years on. Yeah, I um, do. I do. And I worry. I don't know how applications are sorted and how they're filtered and, and how the process begins. But that's exactly what I worry about. And I worry about um, the uh, discouraging people with a felony because I do see it in my son where he says, I'm not going to bother right. applying for government jobs and I'm not going to bother applying for major corporations. I'm just going to stay in this uh, in this dead end restaurant job because um, of the discouragement that comes with the stigma that comes with a felony. Yeah, and, that, and, that thanks, and that, that's a whole ban the box movement, which is, you know, in, in many states now, they, they don't allow employers to, at least at the initial stages, they don't a- allow them to ask for um, wh- whether or not you've been convicted of, of crimes. You can later on in the proceeding. In Wisconsin, of course, it is illegal. Uh, it is illegal to discriminate against people based on criminal conviction unless the criminal conviction is substantially related to the job. But, it, again, it, it's tough to prove whether or not that's going on. And I, I understand I understand your point, Sue. I, I do, that there's the potential for it to be misused. At the same time, I would think that you should be able to develop a policy, particularly for, for example, crimes of violence. I would think that you would want to sort of screen that out. And again, if you had some 28-year-old, like let's, got, let's say guy, who had a record, a history of sexual assault, I would think that you would want to know that before you're bringing him onto the college campus as a student because, again, three months later, if there's a repeat of that contact and all of a sudden you hear that some you know, co-ed has been sexually assaulted and it turns out that this guy that was there had this lengthy record and had done this before... It isn't there going to be people raising you-know-what over this? Paul in Waukesha. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How do you come down on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm calling because my daughter's actually going through uh, the college application process, or actually just did. Okay. And they one of the, like a corner of the consideration that the university uses for an applicant is on your extracurriculars and being of good integrity. Right. So... You know, so just an application alone, they already are insinuating, you know, that we want kids that go above and beyond. And so I would think it would just be natural that they wouldn't, you know, right. instead they- of having somebody doing it. A criminal activity that you at least that you at least want to you at least kind of want to know about it. <laughs> you at least that, that, that that's something and, and right thanks so I, I guess that's i i'm legitimately i guess somewhat surprised until i saw this story i didn't realize that there was and i i guess i should have but i didn't realize that they didn't consider criminal background checks at all but i'm thinking when i applied for college or i applied for law school I forget law school. Certainly college. I don't think I was ever asked if I had a criminal record. Law school, maybe because depending on what the nature of your criminal record is, it might have made you 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 wouldn't you, you couldn't become a lawyer. So they didn't want you. Why go to law school if you've got if you've got a certain crime that's going to make it impossible for you to become a member of the bar? So I don't remember on the law school applications whether that was the case or not. But just from a safety perspective, if nothing else. I guess I don't think it's unreasonable to at least make some sort of inquiries, whether it's a formalized background check or whether it's a question. Um, and, and maybe if you want to define a policy saying, OK, these are the types of crimes that we are concerned about. Have you ever been convicted of a crime of violence, you know, in a list of the different type of crimes so that you distinguish between what our caller Sue was talking about, which is some check kiting scheme that you, somebody did five years ago versus I don't know, somebody who's got a history of sexual assault. I guess I don't think, at least for those violent crimes, I don't think it's irrelevant at all.
Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wisconsin legislators are challenging Governor Walker about how to fund road projects. How does Senate Minority Leader Jennifer Schilling think the state should handle the cost? She stops by Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in at 521 today. I'm going to be curious how stuff like this plays out in the era of Trump. Um, There is there's a big project, a big bridge project going on in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, They're doing upgrades on the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. It's about 30 miles north of San Francisco that the project it's it's a 70 million dollar bridge project. It is now on hold. Because as they're as they're expanding the bridge, there's apparently some trees, and as they're as they're looking into one of the trees, they find a hummingbird egg, the discovery of a nest and an egg in this one particular tree. The species is an Anna's hummingbird. It's protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which forbids the removal of the egg and other protections for the birds. The nest, about half the size of a fist, was discovered about a week ago when work was set to begin. So this $70 million bridge project is now on hold because they find one hummingbird egg in a nest, and they have to apparently wait until the egg hatches, I guess, at which point in time, then, then they can move. They can't just move in, bring in, like, wildlife experts and, and move the hummingbird egg and, and the nest. They can't do that. They have to wait until the hummingbird egg hatches. Now, don't send me emails. I love hummingbirds as well as the next person and perhaps most. But you're going to delay a $70 million bridge project because of one hummingbird egg? Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I do not want to bury the lead. As Gene just said, big news. Billy Joel is Gene. Jane. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sorry. I will never, Jane, I will never confuse you and Gene. I'm sorry. I, just, I, I misspoke. Okay. That's okay. As Jane just said. Now, you probably want to get out of here for this. You don't want to be any, you don't. Okay. As Jane just said, the big news, I do not want to bury the lead. Billy Joel playing at Lambeau Field June 17th. Billy Joel I saw him in concert. Have you ever seen him in concert? Kim? I have. Yeah. I saw him. He was with... Um, um, El- Elton John? Elton John, yeah. yeah. I saw him at the Bradley Center. What a great right? what a great team. It, it was. That was an awful venue to watch a concert in just because you're, you're sit- we were sitting in like these seats and you're, your head is turned at a 45-degree angle to see the show. But, Not really set up for it. Right. But I, I've never seen a concert at Lambeau Field, but I imagine it's got to be really good. So I, I do not want to bury the lead. Billy Joel playing Lambeau Field June 17th. And next week... Each day, Monday through Friday, we will be giving away a pair of tickets to somebody um, to see Billy Joel um, playing at Lambeau Field. In addition, um, we're going to have an opportunity for you to win another pair of tickets um, through our website. And it's, it's, um, it's not quite set up yet. I don't have all the details, but that's going to be coming soon. So listen to the program for your chance to win and also go to our website. But, but here's, here's the other story. Now, okay. I, I get I get called in yesterday. I'm talking to our executive producer, who's a delightful person who does a delightful job. And says, "Hey, this is Billy Joel thing. He, he's coming to Lambeau Field." And I say, "Well, yeah, I, I know that because it's been all over TV for the last week. I mean, I I, I saw it on. I, I mean, I don't know how many different channels I saw it on. It, it's it's on there." And she said, "Yeah, yeah, um, but you can't talk about it because it's embargoed till ten o'clock this morning." And I said, "Well." It's it's all over TV. I mean, it's the, the the TV stations in Green Bay have been reporting it for 
a, a week that he's playing at Lambeau Field. Yeah, but the formal announcement isn't until ten o'clock tomorrow. Don't don't say that. And I'm, I, I <laughs> this is this is me becoming the cranky old you know get off the okay kids get off the lawn. But I'm, I'm saying well okay what's the sense of an embargo if the news is already out and has been out for a week and the TV stations are showing pictures of him playing and stuff like that. And I just get this kind of, well, rules are rules sort of look. And so, okay, all right, I, I, I will play along. Oh, by the way, the Green Bay Packers played the Atlanta Falcons, um, but the results are embargoed. So we'll, we'll share it with you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So in any event, Billy Joel coming to Lambeau Field. The cat is out of the bag, and I have a pair of tickets to give away each day next week. Plus, check out our website um, because there, there's going to be an opportunity for you to, um, again, there's going to be an opportunity for you to win another set of tickets through there. Um, so it's a great deal. If you, it's This is really cool. It, this is really cool. I don't have the details as to when the tickets go on sale yet, but... Um, Lambeau Field, I'm telling you, what you, you could you could make that a really great weekend. You know, get up to Lambeau Field, take the Lambeau Field tour, go to the Hall of Fame, and um, the embargo is now off. But no, that was the funny conversation I have yesterday. It's kind of like, well, it it doesn't matter. The TV has this. It doesn't matter that everybody knows it's embargoed. So don't say anything till ten o'clock. So now now the embargo is off. Okay, we call this section this segment Dealer's Choice. I do that this time every every day. It's a topic that I think. Well, maybe not the biggest news story might be one of the most talkable. And this one really caught my attention. My nephew, Alex, nine years old, he loves playing Call of Duty, which is one of these kind of shoot 'em up video games. Um, he spends hours and hours in the basement playing Call of Duty. And one of the things that you can now do with, with video games, it's different than when I was a kid, you, you can... You, you go on the internet, and he, he plays Call of Duty with a bunch of his friends. So he's got a group of friends that they all get together, and so it's it, it's in some respects it's no different than me and my buddies getting together at somebody's house and playing cards. I mean, it's not there is human interaction. You're just doing it over the internet as opposed to you know doing it over a card table. So you're not completely isolated, and he plays with his friends. One of the concerns I have, though, is while the internet is a great thing, it's always it's a spooky dark place as well because I, I always wonder, okay, if you're playing like one of these online games, how do you know? How, how do you know? You know exactly who you're playing with. Now, again, if, if you're limiting it just your, you know, the kids you go to school with or a handful of people, that's fine. But you know, what about those situations where it doesn't happen and you're just kind of in this general world and you, you know, you think somebody says that they're a 12 year old kid and it's really like a 34 year old guy who's trolling for for kids. It's it's always a concern I have, which is why I know my brother and sister in law are, are very vigilant about. Okay, if he's playing these games, we want to know. Who's online here? And there's limits and there's filters and all that type of stuff because you don't want that. Which brings me to this story. One of the most popular apps out there now is a smartphone app called Musical Lee. M U S I C A L dot L Y. This is one of the hot sensations that are out there. Let me share with you the way this is kind of described in the Chicago Tribune. A few times a week, Chicago fifth grader Leela Adney performs for a worldwide audience, lip-syncing to pop hits while performing intricate choreography in sometimes elaborate makeup. Her stage is a smartphone app called Musical.ly. 
that has become a sensation among young people, many of whom are still in elementary school. It allows them to post short music and comedy clips for friends or the general public who reward them with virtual affirmation and fan bases that can number in the millions. Children like 11-year-old Layla say it's a way to showcase their creativity and bond with friends over their passion. I like that you can do any music in the world and you can manipulate it and do different kinds of things. I think it's really cool. And and I've seen a couple of these things. Again, the way the app works is you will have these kids that lip sync to pop songs and then film themselves doing that and then, you know, put it up for the world to see. And in some cases, the kids dress up in costumes and they dance around and things like that. All right, the story continues. Some parents have grown wary of the app. They say it encourages an unhealthy obsession with popularity, allows children to engage with objectionable content, and puts them at risk of exploitation. It's turned into this monster, says uh, the Chicago mom, who's had to have a sit-down with other moms after her 8-year-old daughter and friends use the app to snipe at each other. It's supposed to be a fun thing, but just like any other social media, it took a negative turn. Um, so what's happening is a lot of these users, especially the, the kids, they're, they're putting stuff out there. Um, you've got the whole world t- who are watching this, and there's a concern that, well, all right, what you've got essentially is you've got a lot of kind of sketchy people who are watching these kids who are dancing and singing and sometimes to provocative sorts of songs and things like that or in kind of provocative uh, costumes, um, is this really like, hey, perverts on parade, here you, you can log on and you can check all this out. Now, the rules of the app say that you're supposed to represent that you're 13 years or older, but apparently that's not very vigorously enforced. And a lot of parents are saying, you know, wait a second, Folks need to know what's going on here because, again, this is something that might sound like it's fun and harmless, but in some cases there might be some bigger concerns. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Have, has, has your child, I mean, do you have, are you familiar with this? Has your child found this? Do there need to be concerns about this? Is this just harmless fun? And people who are saying otherwise, are they overreacting to this? Or is this another one of these things that parents really need to be at least cautious about, about what their kids are doing and who's watching this stuff when they put it out on the Internet? 414-799-1620, musical.ly. It's one of the hottest apps out there, especially with young children, especially with young girls who all want to be, you know, the next... Britney Spears or Lady Gaga or whatever. 414-799-1620. What do parents need to be worried about about this? We discuss. It is 1018. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1021. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This this is interesting to me. One of my very, very close friends, matter of fact, I was at his house Sunday morning, has four children, including... Three very precocious daughters, nine, seven, five, you know, who are very, very talented. And, and this is, they, they get their musical talent from their mom's side. And, they, you know, they're, they're, they, they love to perform and sing and things like that. I could easily see them, 
you know, jumping on to an app like this, this musical.ly, and, you know, posting things that are out there for, for people to watch. Now, the way this particular company works is, while they say they have a policy that, you know, they don't want people under the age of 13 doing it, there, there's really no follow-up on that. And, you know, all you really need is, you know, you need an email address or you need a cell phone number and you can sign up. And what they're finding is lots of young children are signing up on this and then they get fans. So they post these things and then they, they get fans and they get applause. They, they've had a couple high-profile situations where, People reach out to these kids, um, they friend them, they become fans of them, and then they ask them, hey, send me nude photos or whatever. I, I have to say that I think if I were, if I were my buddy and if I, were, if, if I had you know, three daughters, nine, seven, and five, I, I don't know that I'd say there's no way I'd let them use this. But I certainly, before I let them use this, I would make sure that there's all sorts of limits there as to who are watching these particular videos. Because I understand it, it's in good fun. But do you really want, okay, your 12-year-old daughter or your 11-year-old daughter decides that she wants to dress up and, and do some Lady Gaga routine or, or whatever and lip sync along to some song. And then you send that out for God in the world to see. And next thing you know, you've got some creepo, you know, in Brisbane who's watching this, who's starting to reach out to your kid. I guess maybe I would be this incredibly overprotective father in that regard. And I understand that maybe that is an overreaction. And I understand that if you are a parent, you've got to be really, really careful about what is going on on the Internet. But this particular app, as applied, just seems to me to be a complete and total recipe for disaster. And that's unfortunate because it, it's, it's, in many respects, it's fun. Here, the kids want to entertain. The kids want to have their fan base. The kids want to be their own mini stars. The kids want to show off their talent. That's all great. But the flip side of this is if you think about what could go wrong, man, there is a lot. It is 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten twenty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's your chance to put that traffic pet peeve or that workplace annoyance on the books and outlaw it altogether. It ought to be a law, and you can make it one during the WTMJ today segment at two oh seven, or at least you can voice your opinion that it ought to be a law. So tune in um, on WTMJ today, and also let me direct you to our website six twenty WTMJ. As I told you a couple minutes ago, they have now lifted the embargo on, <laughs> again, something that was being reported for quite a while, that Billy Joel is going to be playing at Lambeau Field um, in Green Bay on June 17th. Tickets for the sale, tickets go on sale to the general public on, on Friday. So um, you can check that out at Ticketmaster.com or LiveNation.com. But more importantly, or equally as important, um, all next week, I will be giving away a pair of tickets on my show each week. Um, you'll have a chance to win. But also, we have a an Internet-based contest, contest, your chance to win two premium tickets to see uh, Billy Joel at Lambeau Field. And we have all the details up at WTMJ.com, so you can check it out. So listen to my show for a pair of tickets. Also an opportunity to win premium tickets um, through the website, WTMJ.com. Check that out. Okay. The fight continues to go on over the concept of sanctuary cities. Um, A sanctuary city, again, it means different things to different people. But San Francisco, 
is very, very clear that they are a sanctuary city. Their administrative code, their ordinances, prohibit city officials and agencies from assisting federal agents in trying to determine the immigration status of an individual. So they will not cooperate at all with federal officials to try to determine immigration status. Also, their policy does not allow police to detain an individual in local law enforcement custody solely on the basis of an immigration detainer request from federal authorities. So if they pick up, I don't know, somebody on drunk driving, let's say, who is in this country illegally, and federal authorities learn about this, that's going to be tough to learn about it because they're not going to tell federal authorities that they've got the guy who's in this country illegally in their jails. But under their policy, they will not hold the person. They will not honor a detainer request from federal authorities. Um, the city, again, it calls itself a sanctuary city. The idea being we, we want to be open and welcoming, and we don't want the evil customs agents or immigration enforcement people coming in and enforcing federal law in our city. Donald Trump has come out and said, okay, if you do this, if you're going to be a sanctuary city, there's going to be a consequence, and we are going to withhold federal monies. Now, right now, San Francisco receives more than $1.2 billion a year in federal funding, most of which goes to things like health care, nutrition, and other safety net programs, not all, of course, exclusively, which goes to, to which is spent on people who are in this country illegally. The mayor of San Francisco says, we're not going to back down, and we're also going to sue. You know, we're going to try to fight this in every way, shape, and form. All right, now, putting the legalities aside as to whether Trump has the authority to do this or whether he needs a new law... I want to discuss the basic concept of who's right and who's wrong. If these various mayors, San Francisco, New York, Madison, and again, the definition of sanctuary city varies from city to city, but if they decide that they want to continue a policy of essentially saying we are not going to cooperate in any meaningful way, shape, or form with federal immigration, do you think Donald Trump is within his rights in saying, okay, no federal money? Or is this just bad policy, allow the cities to do whatever they want and not worry about it? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. This brouhaha over sanctuary cities is not going away. Matter of fact, it's simply escalating. Is Trump right to try to crack down on cities that don't want to cooperate with federal law enforcement? We discuss next. Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. The, the dispute between the Trump administration and various mayors, typically liberal big city mayors over sanctuary cities, is going nowhere fast. Uh, San Francisco is suing, saying, "Hey, if Donald Trump tries to pull." All the dough that we get um, from the federal government, $1.2 billion a year, simply because we don't want to cooperate with federal immigration laws, we're going to fight him all the way to the Supreme Court. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Good morning. morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, this is a no-brainer. The federal government puts restrictions on, on money that they give us all the time. It's that whole drunk uh, right. drinking age kind of thing. Um, and this is the thing that drives me crazy. With They're going to spend more money on this. And in the end, all you're doing is protecting criminals, people who who are 
violating the law. And it's not like we're going into the schools and deporting all the kids that, that are not here illegally, because access to school records and all that yeah. other stuff is very hard to get to. But the criminal, when they get arrested and they're not supposed to be here, that should be a no-brainer. What about the person who's not the criminal? What about the what about the person who's the crime victim? And this is the example that always gets used. You're, you're in this country illegally. Your your car gets stolen. So you go, you report it to the police, and they somehow learn that you know you're the crime victim, but you're also in this country illegally. In cases like that, should the police have an obligation to notify federal authorities that hey, we've 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 picked up somebody, we now have identified where somebody lives who's not supposed to be in this country? Uh, unfortunately, they, I think they will have to, and it's unfortunate for those victims. But I, in the reality of life, uh, there's no way in God's green earth the federal agents are going to come and pick up some guy who right. has his car stolen. They're going to go after all the criminals. And say, I, I don't know what the number is. They're saying two to three million criminal uh, um, right. aliens in, in the U.S. They're going to target those first because it's, it's, a, it's a long and cumbersome process to deport somebody. And so they're going to go after those people first and... You know, if they get put into the system and they have to start a process so that they can maybe get citizenship or, uh, you know, there's all these different ways. But it's unfortunate, but it's the price that we have to pay for to be here legally. Well, I mean, thanks. I guess, see, I just my bigger problem is I don't think that you should be able to. I don't think that you should be able to pick and choose which laws that you want to follow and which laws you don't want to follow. And it seems to me, if, if you're the city of San Francisco or the city of New York, and, and you're you're the mayor, you know, you take an oath to support the, the laws. And the, the, this, if you want to argue about we need to change immigration law, okay, that that's fine. I think reasonable people can disagree with that, and I think you have to have a conversation about what's possible, what's practical, all those things. But this idea that we're going to let that the the aging hippie lefty mayor of Madison decide what federal laws he's going to comply with. And whether you're going to help federal agents or not, I, I just think that's nuts. I also think it is incredibly bad policy. And, you know, you, you've seen this play out. Now, again, it's anecdotal, but you've seen this play out. Now, what about the situation where you have the guy who is the drunk driver, comes into the system, you know the person is in this country illegally, you decide that you're not going to share that information with the federal government, or the federal government knows it too and puts a detainer on him. That's the way you're saying, okay, hold him so we can pick him up. And you decide we're not going to honor that. All right, so the guy gets released, he goes out, he gets drunk again, and then he kills three people. Well, okay, those situations, the folks, whether they're in law enforcement or the politicians that have made the decision not to cooperate with the federal government, they're the ones that have blood on their hands, it seems to me, as a result of that policy. Paula in Chicago. Paula, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Paula. Hi. What do you think? Well, I just think you make some good points, but I think what, what happens in America is that we we make two congruent points and we try to make them over each other. I think it's true if you have an illegal drunk driver that they should be held accountable, but I don't think it's uh, having a federal mandate over a state mandate. We've argued this all the way back as far as the Clintons when the GOP wanted to hold state regulations over federal regulations. I mean, we have to sit here and come together as a nation and start deciding whether we want to be privatized responsibly, fiscally responsible to our environment, our infrastructure, or whether we want to be uh, socialized 
and have these officials have term limits. Well, that, but, but before really, we but before we get too far afield, I guess. I, but but before we get too far afield, I mean, you have right. you have a, f- a series of federal laws. In this case, I mean, mm-hmm. the federal government regulating Im- immigration laws. Um, do you think states or, or cities now? California is even thinking now of becoming a sanctuary state. Do you think states or cities should have the ability to say, "Okay, we're not going to recognize federal laws that we don't like, and we're not going to cooperate with them"? Well, it's interesting you say that because again, we're trying to make two congruent points. The point is, is in the European Union, we allowed Britain to succeed. In the United States, when we wrote the Constitution, California can't just go ahead and make itself its own state. Right. But, I mean, that's our Constitution. Yeah, we fought so this right civil there. war. Yeah, we fought this civil war thing about it. Now, thanks, right. I mean, I guess, right, I mean, see, that's, that, that, I guess that's my point. You know, it, it's not, okay, it's not like the European Union where you have this voluntary alliance and, and people can come in and out. We, we you know, we, we have a, a country where, yes, you, you've got state laws and the states have the right to make certain laws. But in this particular case, um, you know, what, what Trump is saying is that fine, you know, if you don't want to cooperate, you state of California, you city of San Francisco, you choose that you don't want to cooperate with the federal law and sanctuary cities, go with God. But don't expect us to ship federal money to you. Now, there's some nuances of the Supreme Court decisions that are out there. The the Supreme Court, and the example our, our first caller, Mike, was, was talking about correctly, is that the reason we have 21-year-old, uh, the reason we have a uniform 21-year-old dr- a drinking law, it is because each state sets the, the legal age for drinking, but the federal government says, okay, if you're going to not, if it's not going to be 21, if you want to do 20 or 19 or 18, Wisconsin, you can, but we're not going to give you any federal money. You know, you're, you're going to lose all your federal highway funding. And so that's a way of using the purse strings to kind of coerce this type of thing. Now, in court cases challenging that, that they, they upheld it. The Supreme Court said that's fine because that the money that's being withheld is tied to the, the, the law that you're trying to enforce. In other words, you know, federal highway money, you don't want young people drinking and driving and being on the road, so it makes some sense. Um, this what California or what San Francisco is going to argue is that there's no reasonable relationship between the money that we get from the federal government and our policies on immigration. I don't know how valid that argument is going to be. And, of course, there's nothing that says that uh, the government can't change, the Congress can't change the law one way or the other. But this is, it is a showdown. It is not going away. But I continue to believe the sanctuary city concepts are really bad public policy. And when people who should have been deported end up committing serious crimes, it's these local officials that are going to be the ones that have blood on their hands. Ten forty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us this morning. Coming up in about twenty minutes, is it just a dog, or is it something more? Stick around. How many Wisconsinites are impacted by President Trump's travel ban? Where are those people in our community? Get the whole story on Wisconsin's afternoon news. That's four twenty-one today. And as I mentioned earlier. The embargo is now off. Billy Joel is going to be playing at Lambeau Field on June 17th. Tickets go on sale a week from Friday, February 10th. But all next week, I will be giving away each day a pair of tickets. Plus, if you go online to WTMJ.com, we have a great contest, your ability to win a pair of premium tickets to see Billy Joel. All the details up on the website. All right, there there is an editorial in today's Journal Sentinel, which 
both is is spot on and completely clueless all at once. It's called here. Let me share it with you. Gun proposal has promise. Um, and, and this this is actually again, it's spot on in one extent, but clueless because again, it, it shows what happens when you get a bunch of people in a room and they do not understand the real world that is out there. So here's what the editorial says. Um, a bipartisan group of state legislatures is taking an important sta- step to make Milwaukee streets safer. And believe me, can I see a show of hands? Anybody opposed to making the streets safer? No, no hands go up. A bipartisan group of state legislatures is taking an important step to make Milwaukee streets safer and keep guns out of the hands of criminals, something I think all of us would agree is a good thing. The group's proposal deserves the support of citizens, other legislators, and the governor and should become law. According to the Journal Sentinel, the proposed bill would make it a felony for anyone who has had three misdemeanor convictions in five years to possess a gun, okay, and would make it a felony to buy a gun with the intent of giving it to someone who can't legally possess a firearm, known as straw purchasing, or to give a firearm or possibly possess one for someone banned for having a gun. So in other words, if you've got the young lady, the 20-year-old girl, gal, who is dating the 22-year-old gangbanger and... She goes into the gun store and buys the gun in her name, knowing it's going to be going to the gangbanger. It would now be a felony to do that. Okay, that's what this is talking about, the straw purchaser. Um, it would also make lying about being a straw purchaser on a state notification form a felony. So essentially it's saying, okay, if you've got multiple misdemeanors, that becomes a felony, and you get caught with a gun, that becomes a felony. If you get a felony, if you're a straw purchaser. All right, no problem. The editorial continues. The legislation that the city of Milwaukee officials have been seeking for several years and for which we've advocated, its intent is not to infringe on anyone's constitutionally guaranteed gun rights. Its intent is simply to keep guns away from bad guys, or at least to make bad guys and their friends think twice about getting a gun. The proposed bill sponsors are Alberta Darling, Republican from River Hills, and Latanya Johnson, Democrat from Milwaukee in the state Senate, and Joe Sanfilippo and David Bowen in the Assembly. The bill gives prosecutors more opportunities opportunities to take criminals off the street, said Darling in a statement. We work together with local officials for a month to find a bipartisan solution that will make Milwaukee safer. Tom Barrett lauded the bill and its sponsors last week. Ed Flynn said the proposal would bring tougher penalties for repeat offenders, etc., etc., etc. Now, how can this editorial be spot on and completely clueless all at once? Well, here's why. First of all, as far as toughening the penalties, I am all in favor of it. I I think it makes perfect sense to say, okay, if you're going to be one of these straw purchasers, if you're going to go out and you're going to buy this gun with the intent of buying it in your name so you can give it to somebody who you know shouldn't have a gun, yeah, I think that should be a felony. If you have somebody who has a series of misdemeanor convictions, three and five years is an awful lot. Yeah, yeah, I I don't have a problem with saying, okay, you should not have a gun. So it it is spot on to the extent that it increases the penalties for people who either have guns when they shouldn't or get guns to people who shouldn't have them. Spot on. No problem at all with that. But now let's talk about why this is completely clueless. We live in the real world. Have you watched what goes on in Milwaukee County Circuit Courts? I mean, seriously, have you watched what goes on in Milwaukee County Circuit Courts? Have you seen 
First of all, the decisions that sometimes get made as far as charging decisions with regard to people and gun crimes. And have you seen the disposition of this? Do you seriously think, unless you also, say, make it a mandatory minimum penalty of three to five years, do you think that there's going to be a judge, for example, who gets the situation that I showed you. It's the 21-year-old woman who's dating the gangbanger. She buys the gun in her name. Okay, you finally catch her. You figure out how to prosecute her. You figure out how to convict her. Do you think she's going to be going to prison for any meaningful period of time? I mean, without, without real teeth, without saying we're going to have mandatory minimum penalties to guarantee that people are going to go to prison if they commit gun crimes, This is just going to be more paperwork. It's not going to deter anything. It's not going to make the streets safer. I have no problem with this legislation. But the reality is you're not going to have judges that are going to be sending people, okay, you've got three misdemeanor convictions in five years and you got caught with a gun. This is going to be probation. It's going to be double secret probation. You bought the gun and you gave it to your gangbanger boyfriend. Okay, we're going to put you on probation. Or, you know, we're going to use deferred prosecution. Unless you have things like mandatory minimum penalties attached to gun crimes, which is what the federal government has had for years and years, nothing is going to change. It's just, okay, a different category of prosecution, but it's not going to make any difference at all. But here's the problem. You're never going to get support from some of the people who just say, okay, we're going to toughen the law. Well, okay, good, great. You toughen the law. But if you don't have judges that are willing to drop the hammer and enforce these things, you've done nothing. It's nothing but lip service. And that's I'm not opposed to this bill. Great. Make it law. But unless you have teeth to this and unless you have prosecutors who are committed to this and unless, most importantly, you have judges that are willing to impose significant penalties. And trust me, we do not right now. This is all it's just useless. It is so much talk and so much conversation. And if you do have judges that tried to put teeth in the law or you had mandatory minimum penalties, many of the people who are signing on to this bill would be screwed screaming bloody murder because, let's face it, in, in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County, if you want to look at who is committing the majority of the gun crimes, you know, just statistically, it's going to be many people of color, for example, for whatever reasons, but that's just kind of the reality. If you focus on the high crime areas, you understand, you know, there, there's going to be a certain ethnic makeup, there's going to be a certain racial makeup. So if you do put, like, mandatory penalties in, and then it turns out that, you know, 75 or 80 percent of the people who are going to prison or being punished as a result of this are people of color color or whatever, you know that those same people are going to be screaming, oh, you're just you're incarcerating people in this community or that community. Stuff like this doesn't work unless you put teeth in the law. That teeth involves mandatory minimum penalties for gun crimes. So anytime you have the Journal Sentinel editorial board or politicians, including politicians I like and respect, talking about, hey, we need to toughen the laws, fine. Go with God. That's great. Toughen the laws. But unless you also toughen the application of the laws to guarantee consequences, you're not doing anything. So do I oppose this law? No. Will it make any difference in the real world unless it is also accompanied by guarantees that people are going to be held accountable? 
No, either. That's what you need in conjunction with this. But a lot of the people who tout this, oh, this is great, we've toughened the laws. Right? You, you've got all sorts of laws against gun crimes now and crimes of violence, and still you have people that are stealing cars right and left in the city of Milwaukee. Okay, those laws aren't deterring things because we're not holding people accountable. So pass the law, but also pass mandatory minimum sentencing that guarantees people convicted actually have consequences. That's what you need to do. And that is how an editorial can be both spot on and completely clueless at the same time. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, another day, another couple of people dead, high-speed driving, hitting a pillar. This happened yesterday, a little before 1030, around 32nd and Hampton. This was not a police chase, but apparently a westbound Nissan, 32nd and Hampton, three Milwaukee men, high rate of speed, slams into a concrete bridge pillar. One of the occupants ejected from the vehicle dies on the scene. Second occupant transported to a local hospital dies from his injuries. Third occupant flees from the vehicle armed with a pistol <laughs> um, taken into custody a short time later and again this this isn't a this wasn't a police chase this was apparently a bunch of bad guys out there driving at a high rate of speed so <laughs> crashes into a pillar one guy thrown from the car dies another person dies subsequently the third person does what anybody would do under those circumstances, grabs a gun and tries to flee from the car. He's taken into custody. Another pistol and an amount of what were believed to be narcotics was recovered from the vehicle. Now, again, th- this wasn't a chase like's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks. These were just bad guys driving at a high rate of speed who happened to slam into a concrete pillar as opposed to slamming into a car. But th- this does kind of underscore the thing. For people who think that the cops should not chase, I mean, here you have... They've got guns, they've got drugs, they're driving at a high rate of speed. If the cops had seen them and just allowed them to drive off, there's no guarantee at all that they would have just simply driven slowly and gone home and gone about their life. I mean, this is what happens when you've got criminals that are out there on the street and why it is important for the police to do everything they can to get them off the street. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ and CJ, that, that show right there. We have all these different TV monitors. Hondo, this applies to you, too. I, I, we, I know we all love our jobs, but every once in a while you have one of those days where you, eh, it's not working. So if you ever want to feel better about your life, and we have all these different TV monitors. That I, I have Bering Sea Gold, which is one of these shows that's on, like, the History Channel or Discovery Channel or whatever. And, and the basic premise is they do one in the summer and one in the winter. It's all these dead-enders up in Nome, Alaska. And the winter one is even more pathetic than the summer one is because the winter one, okay, they, you, you've got the, the Bering Sea, which is frozen over. So they, they, it's, they, they go out and they, like, drill a hole in the Bering Sea and the ice, and then they, they jump in, and then they go down to the bottom, and they try to, like, find gold. And, of course, there's never any gold there, and the equipment's always breaking down, and they're living in tents. So it's not like they know of a shipwreck that happened oh, there no, so no, that no. there's a guarantee that there will be gold oh. when they get down Oh, no, there. no. This is just because there's gold in Alaska. And so they're, they're constantly, like, prospecting. And so they're constantly moving to different holes and things like that. And I've been watching this thing for years, just, just absolutely fascinated by this because it's like... 
Yeah, I don't know if it's Schadenfreude or whatever, but you're just kind of watching this, and, and nobody ever finds any significant amount of gold enough to make. You know, you, you think that okay, get a job working at the McDonald's in Nome, and you'd probably make more money. But of course, the equipment's always breaking down. But you just you just watch these things. Okay, it's Nome, Alaska in January, so it's like ten degrees below zero, and you're in this little ice fishing thing and you've got some poor you know what you know it's got to now jump in and you hope the equipment because of course it's also scuba diving and they're hooked up to these like heaters and these hot water lines and stuff and it's real easy to die oh yeah <laughs> doing this as well hondo asked the question how much gold do you have to get to make it worth it well, i mean i've been watching this for years they never find enough gold to make it worth i'm sure they are all losing money and all these guys and there's some gals that do it too they don't have it, it's sort of like the end of the world so it's all this ragtag stuff they've tried to put this equipment together and the equipment's always breaking down and i don't know about you jane but it's one thing to have equipment to break down like the coffee maker doesn't work it's another thing to be under the bering sea and all of a sudden the thing that's providing you the oxygen breaks down yeah that's that's problematic jeff okay so here's the deal no matter, you know, I, I understand we all have frustration, so that's my little group of thing of cheer to you today. No, no matter how frustrating the day gets, you know, and this is to everybody, you are not in scuba gear cutting a hole in the ice in the Bering Sea trying to vacuum up gold off the bottom. Actually, the happiest point in my day right now is knowing <laughs> how much Jeff Wagner loves bad television. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love, oh, oh, my goodness. Don't get me started on bad television. They were, one of, one of the Okay, the the worst. Now, I admit I've I've watched I, I watch a lot of like bad junk TV. The the worst. I'm even embarrassed to admit this. Oh, good. Full throttle saloon. You 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 do not. Okay, full throttle saloon. Up until it burned down a year ago. <laughs> okay, at the, at the and at, what a sad day that at, was. At the okay <laughs> at, okay Sturgis right. They have the big Harley rally every year. Okay, the full throttle saloon was this giant biker bar that only operates for the like the week and a half that the Sturgis thing is okay. there. Mm-hmm. And it was run by this guy, Michael something or other, and his stripper girlfriend. And um, it, Full Throttle Saloon, I forget what channel it was on, but it was like they, they do a show every day. It was like every day of the, the thing. It was like an hour and a half show. And you would see every kind of, every kind of person involved in the human, uh, the biker bar, a thing at a biker bar at Sturgis. <laughs> you're just laughing. You're shaking I your head. I just see you sitting yeah. in your armchair with a nice cup of tea. Watching, <laughs> right. watching, Looking watching forward to Full Throttle, throttle saloon. saloon, right? It's, and it, it's it, it, you've got the, oh, no, it's, yep, yep, yep. I'm, I'll be sitting there with my, my book on the last, the one I'm reading now, the last, you know, several months of the of the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration, you know, kind of reading that. And there's Full Throttle Saloon, and you look up every once in a while, and there's Angie dancing on the bar. Perfect. I I am a Renaissance man, Jane. If you have not figured that out, I am truly a Renaissance guy. But in any event, full throttle, it burned down like two years ago, and you know, no more show. <sighs> Too bad. In my defense, John, I, I turned McCure onto it. It became like his much watched TV <laughs> thing too. I, I'm sort of like a Pied Piper of bad TV and things like that. I'm sorry, we digress. All right. Uh, by the way. You don't have to send me the emails. I understand that there's all sorts of big things going on in the world. I know there's all this controversy about Donald Trump. Matter of fact, we spent the first hour of the program talking about his latest Supreme Court appointment, who I think, 
I think was an absolute home run for everybody who during the election season called up and said the reason we need to vote for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton is because of the Supreme Court. And there were people, and myself included, who said, well, the, how do we know what Trump is going to do on the Supreme Court? The, the nomination of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court is an absolute and total home run. This guy is a mainstream conservative. He is a brilliant jurist. He should be confirmed without any problem at all. And if if the Democrats decide, as sort of argued in the USA Today today and New York Times, that they just because it's a Trump appointment and Trump's not a legitimate president and they didn't allow Merrick Garland to have a vote, if the Democrats decide that they are not going to ultimately give an up or down vote to Neil Gorsuch, given the fact that they are in the majority, I, I firmly believe it's time to take the nuclear option and then say, okay, Harry Reid said, you know, we're going to take out uh, Cloitra, we're going to take out the filibuster. I think it's time for the Republicans to do that as well and just have an up or down vote. So um, be interesting to see what happens. But if you want to hear that discussion, we do podcast the show. You can go to WTMJ.com. You can download the podcast. You can also sign up to be notified when new ones are put up. So I understand that's the big story. I think Trump hit an absolute home run with this particular appointment, and I think he should be confirmed quickly. Will it happen? No, because you know there's going to be all sorts of fighting, but he will, I think, be confirmed at some point in time. So I understand there are these big issues, and we do discuss them, but then there's other things that just absolutely fascinate me on on this program. And as a pet owner and a dog lover myself, there is a story out of, speaking about Bering Sea Gold, there's a story out of Alaska that I want to discuss with you. That's coming up next. Stick around. 1115, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's funny you, you the, the turns, twists and turns that life life takes. Um, I had a dog when I was a kid growing up, um, but actually the dog was probably more my parents' dog. Um, I, I now have a little Pomeranian. I talk about Sasha all the time. And it, it's it's funny because when you have a dog, you know this, your, your entire... Your entire life kind of like revolves around taking care of the dog, and now as a single parent, you know, I, I'm, I'm dealing with those 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 types of, of situations. For, for for example, I took I got I woke up the dog. The dog wakes me up in the middle of the night to go out, and then I wake the dog up before I'm getting ready to come to work to, to do a you know to take a longer walk. So this might be in the category of too much information, but this morning I'm taking the dog on her walk, and um, I like. I like for her to accomplish all the business she needs to accomplish, if you know what I mean. Well, she didn't accomplish some of that business. So I, I have a I have a, a wonderful woman who, who comes in in the middle of the morning and, and walks her again. So I today I have a I have a luncheon date after work, so I'm not going to be home till like later in the afternoon. So I send the dog walker an email saying, um, you know, I, I took Sasha on this long walk and she didn't do you know everything. When you, you know, when you come over and take her out, would you try to make sure she does both? Because I'm not going to be home till later on. I'm, so it's constant. Matter of fact, and Esther just sent me a note saying, mission accomplished. So I, I can be relieved. I can go not have to worry about this stuff when I'm uh, on the lunch date. But, but you, you do that because I don't have children. But, I mean, th- this dog is like my, my child in a way. And it, there is, it, I am attached to this dog in ways that I just, you know, can't describe. She's not... 
she's not like property. I mean, yes, she belongs to me, but it's not like the TV belongs to me. It's not like the record player belongs to me. It's not like the couch belongs to me. The, the dog is part of my family. There's no question about it. And I, you, you've got this attachment. Now, why do I bring this up? Because as a matter of law, in most states, dogs are considered to be property the same way you would consider a TV and the same way you would consider a couch. So if something happens to the dog, generally speaking, the way of assessing damages is, okay, well, what would it take, how much would it cost to buy a new dog? Right. Well, that that that's all well and good, but if you're a pet owner, you know your your, your pet isn't property. You know your your pet is again a member of of the family, and in divorce law, in general, in divorce law, I mean, I just I have so much respect for lawyers who do it because it's so hard that because you've got all these emotions that are involved in all this stuff, and and people end up fighting about things. It's not really who gets the big screen TV, but it, it's more than that. It's just you end up with these fights. But typically, historically, when it comes to divorce law, pets have been treated as, as property. And deciding who gets what, you don't take into account the interest of the pet. Well, I thought this was interesting because Alaska has just become the first state in the union to change its laws. And when there's a divorce situation, the, the judges, in deciding how to divide stuff up are now required to take into consideration the well-being of of the animal in other words to consider just like you consider with kids you know who who is the child going to be better off with is it better off with the mom or the dad now they're able to they're saying hey pets pets are different than furniture pets are different than TVs pets are different than stuff pets are closer to I don't know, people, than they are to just objects. And so now these judges are decided to say, okay, if there's a family dog, you're supposed to consider, you know, what's in the best interest of the dog? Is it better off for the dog to, you know, stay with the kids in the family home? Is it better off for the dog to go with whoever? And this, of course, has become incredibly controversial. I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Think about, think about your pets. I mean, has your pet become is, – is the pet a member of the family? I mean, I obviously, you know, your, your dog is not like your child. But has your pet – become a member of your family do you consider your pet to be a member of the family and should should the pet be treated should your dog should your cat should your animal be treated as something different than just you know pure property that you own and does that dog does that cat should it get some special consideration? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I mean, I don't know about you, and maybe maybe I would have had a different take on this a few years back, but there, there's no question. My pet is a member of my family, and I, I treat her accordingly. And I think most people view their pets that way. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Okay, Pet Lovers of Wisconsin Unite. Um, How do we treat pets? Are they something more 
than just property? And do they need to be recognized as such? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Twenty-six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Cheryl and Racine. Cheryl, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, are, are pets property or or something more? Oh, they're property and they're family and they're just like a child. <laughs> so I agree totally with you. In fact, we have a potbelly pig and three dogs, and we were not able to keep our potbelly pig because. The city did not allow it, so we actually moved from one city to the next where they do allow them. You actually moved your house so you could keep your potbelly pig as you actually moved so you could keep your potbelly pig as a as a pet. Yeah, we had her from the time she was, and the city we had her in the city, and she lived there perfectly right. fine. And we were told we couldn't have her in the city. And we did not want to just hand her away and give her to somebody else. Yeah. She's part of our family. <laughs> so, yes, we spent a few thousand dollars just to move <laughs> and go through all that just to keep her. And she's happy. I, I, she's I, also, outstanding. She's no, thanks, also, Cheryl. I mean, the truth is, I mean, the, the truth is, if the community I live in said you, you can't have the type of dogs you have, I, I think I would probably end up saying goodbye to the community. I can't say goodbye to the dog. Candy in Cedarburg. Candy, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. Definitely pets are part of the family. <laughs> we just uh, purchased a, new, a second home, like condo sort of thing. Right. And if they didn't take pets, <laughs> we didn't buy. So <laughs> yeah. we won't go any, I mean, we have kids, but and I was raised this way. My parents. Our dogs came first, and then the rest of the kids. So, <laughs> the dogs eat first, then the kids eat, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Who took care of the dogs? Who took them out? Who fed them? What did you do? How'd they do? You know, it was just some of my friends didn't even... My parents talked about the dogs more than the kids, and I'm sort of like, we're following suit. Right. So that's great. Well, see, I know exactly... I mean, thanks to, I know exactly what you're talking about, because it, it is it is always on my mind. And actually, it, it's kind of a good thing, because if I'm out or whatever, it's always in the back of my mind, okay, you know, what's 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 going on? How long has she been alone? How soon do I get, out, get home? And it, it's not... It's really not that I... Okay, if she pees on the carpet, which she doesn't do, it's not that I really care about that that much. It's just like I don't I don't want the dog to be uncomfortable. So that's that's kind of what my life has become. Susan in Wausau. Susan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Oh, absolutely. We're new pet parents. We have a six-and-a-half-month-old puppy. And um, if I told you half the things we've <laughs> done for this dog, you would uh, have me examined. And, in fact, Children, ten grandchildren, but my youngest daughter kind of figured it out. She said, "I think I know why you got this puppy back. <laughs> you get to spoil her and keep her." And yep. I said, "Absolutely, love her to death." Yeah, there, there's no question. I mean, we um, we 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 refer to my dog as the uh, 
as the princess, and and she's and and everybody that comes over just knows that this dog has me completely and totally wrapped around her little paw. There's just no, there is just absolutely no question about that because it's always okay. How how is this going to affect? So, but that that's why it's always been interesting because under the law, um, and it is the law in most states. I mean, dogs, animals are just property. They, they don't they don't take into account the the fact that. Well, they're animals aren't people. I get that, but it just doesn't take into account the emotional attachment that you can that you can develop. And uh, at least Alaska is starting to move in that direction. Eleven thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. They're among the best quarterbacks the game has ever seen. Where do Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers rank on the all-time list? Who would you rather have? Greg lets you decide tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. Huh. That's a very, very interesting question. Huh. Tune in. 6.07. Matzik will be talking about that. The, um, the, the news earlier this week was that uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, was going to be coming to Milwaukee on Thursday to give a major economic address. The, the, details, the details had not come out but they were apparently working on trying to figure out where they were going he was going to show up um the report now is that 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 visit has been canceled now cnn now you have to keep in mind it's it's cnn and cnn i think has some issues when it comes to reliability but cnn is reporting that the reason the visit was canceled was because harley davidson which apparently was one of the places that was being considered for the, the speech Harley-Davidson was uncomfortable in hosting the president because of expected protests. Apparently, um, the, the idea was that they were looking for locations. They were considering places like State Fair Park and Harley-Davidson. But because there's been so many protests that have developed, the report is that Harley said, well, we prefer he not come here, not because we don't want to welcome the president of the United States, but because, you know, we, we don't. We, we don't want thousands and thousands of people to show up and protest this thing, and we, we just we want to try to avoid the controversy. Now, again, that's CNN reporting it, but obviously there was some reason why you know President Trump decided he wasn't going to come to Milwaukee, and I think that probably makes as, as much sense as, as any. When we were talking about the Supreme Court nominee earlier today, there were I, I was struck by the fact, and I mentioned this, there are a number of hardcore lefty activists who have decided that Donald Trump cannot do anything correctly. And so the the way to deal with the Trump administration is to protest. There are Democratic senators, for example. Chuck Schumer is, of course, the Senate minority leader. He, he was the target at his house uh, of a number of protesters yesterday demanding that the, the Democrats in the Senate do nothing but obstruct. You know, it doesn't matter the merits of a particular candidate or whatever, just obstruct. Anything Trump wants to do, fight. Fight him, fight him, fight him. Dig in your heels, do everything you can to block, block Supreme Court appointments, block cabinet nominees, do everything you can to just fight, fight, fight. And some of the Democratic senators are being pressured with the idea that if you don't, if you don't just be a complete obstructionist, well, you know, then we're going to turn our anger on you. At the same time, the, the protest movement, one of the things that struck me about like the Women's March a week ago was the fact that unlike in the 60s, where you had these protest movements that were built around a single issue, 
you know, everybody here, we're here, stop the war. That, that's it. Everybody that shows up at the march, we were about stopping the war. The, the protest at the Women's March, and as near as I can figure it, a lot of these other protests that keep breaking out are are about all sorts of things. You have the I'm a the, the, the pro-abortion groups that, that are out there. And so you've got the pro-abortion groups that are there. You've got the immigrant rights groups that are there. You've got, uh, again, the, we think Trump's anti-woman. You've got you know, the minority groups. It, it's all these different divergent groups that are out there, and they're demonstrating, and it's Trump can't do anything right. Trump can't do anything right. And believe me, I understand that some of the things that the Trump administration has rolled out have, even if you agree with them, it's been done in a ham-handed fashion. It really does remind me, on a bigger scale, of what happened in Wisconsin after Scott Walker rolled out Act 10. Remember, you had activists from all over the country who descended on Madison. You had all the capital chaos. You had the Senate Democrats taking off and you know fleeing to Illinois for a period of time. But at the end of the day, you know, after a couple months, it, it just it pretty much went away. The, the protesters lost. Um, they went back. Now, I understand there's still some people that sing in the Capitol at Madison. But in general, they, they lost. And, you know, then they went on. They tried the recall of Scott Walker. They lost that. And then it, it's pretty much dissipated over the year. It's gone away. The protesters got tired and people got tired of them protesting. I also believe and I've argued this for years. There was a huge backlash among what I'm going to call the silent majority. And I understand that that has Nixonian overtones, but the silent majority of people who looked at what was going on in Madison, for example, and said, you know, even though I might have some issues with Act 10, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be associated with this lunatic fringe that is out there doing this stuff day after day after day. And I think there was a backlash, and I think that was reflected in the recall um, vote in 2012 or whenever. All right. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I I want you to look into your crystal ball. Right now, people are taking to the streets. People are protesting anything that comes out of the Trump administration. And like I was saying, there's lots of pressure being put on some legislators to do anything they can to try to undermine Trump. Is this protest movement that appears to be, again, it's not just one issue. The, The issue, it's not just one political issue. The issue is we hate Trump. Is this protest movement going to have legs or is this going to fade away and after a few weeks or a month or two months is this going to be yesterday's news and is it just going to be the hardcore usual suspects out there you know banging their drums and screaming or is this something more is this going to be the new normal for the next two or four years 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Is this the new normal, or is this just an aberration? Will things settle down soon, sooner, if not later? We discuss next. 414-799-1620. And how are you reacting to the protests, the fact that you can't listen to the radio news, you can't pick up a newspaper, you can't check news on the Internet, and you can't turn on the television without seeing one protest after another. How are you reacting? We discuss next. It's 1141, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 
It's 11.44, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. The Bucks look to snap a three-game losing streak tonight in Utah against the Jazz. Voice of the Bucks, Ted Davis, has the call. Our game coverage starts with Buck shots at 7.40 this evening. Check it out. Okay, um, the, the new normal, at least for the moment, has been protest. Protest, protest, protest. You've had the Women's March, although the women seem, the only issue they seem to have united over was the fact that they don't like Donald Trump. Um, are these protests going to have legs, or is this just a, is this just a craze, a fad, which will kind of dry away, blow, dry up and blow away in the relatively near future? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're first. Good, uh, good morning. Okay, it's still on the afternoon. No, no, no. That's, I, that was, you know, that is. I got to tell you, I was distracted. That is the first time I have done that in a month. But I did. <laughs> good, good morning, Dave. <laughs> Good morning, Jeff. I hope that they keep this up for the next two years, uh, and, and and on Hollywood on TV because we should have a sixty-plus uh, supermajority in the Senate after the uh, the elections in uh, two thousand eighteen. I mean, if I was running the uh, Republican Party in Wisconsin, I'd be hanging every one of these around Tammy Baldwin's neck for the next two years. Well, I guess that I mean. But but if you look at the poll, I mean, again, we, we, we know how to read polls after the last election. If you read these polls, it says that Donald Trump is incredibly unpopular. Obviously, a lot of the Democrats think that they have a winning issue by, by watching all these people go out in the streets and take to the streets and oppose Trump. You don't well, think it's going to play out that way, huh? No. They thought they had a winning issue with Hillary Clinton. I mean, yeah. more power to them. I would, Donald Trump was a, I, I was not a, a big Donald Trump supporter. Okay, right. but this is why he was elected with junk like this, just uh, like Orrin Hatch said about the crap going on in the Senate. Yeah, no, I think Dave. I, no, I, I, I think. See, I think that you are onto something. And one of the things that I think is happening is that the the protests are out of proportion to what is is really going on here. I mean, and I. I started off the program yesterday with this story of this ESPN anchor. Her name is Sage Steele, and she was she um, was scheduled to fly on um, Saturday or Sunday from Houston from from LA LAX, the Los Angeles airport, to Houston to um, go cover the Super Bowl. And you, you had this huge immigration protest where thousands and thousands of people essentially shut down LAX airport. Now the effect, all because. You know, they're, they're complaining about Trump's policy, despite the fact that probably the vast majority of people who showed up at that protest were not affected directly by Trump's immigration policy. And believe me, I, I think the way that policy was rolled out, as I said before, I think it was ham-handed. I mean, I, I don't understand how you couldn't have been really, really clear up front that, hey, okay, people with green cards, people who have visas, people are le- who've already been vetted and are legally allowed to be in this country, no, if you're outside the country, we're still going to honor the green cards. I, I don't understand how somebody couldn't raise their hand and said, we've got this issue. But I think the protests were completely and totally out of proportion to the impact of the policy. And I also think that continues to be the case because you've got a lot of activists who are just anti-Trump who are out there trying to find anything they can to possibly stir stuff up. But the, the Sage Steele, if you didn't see this, the what, what she did is the LAX is essentially closed down. So you, you can't get in. So what she says is, OK, I I had to walk about two miles dragging my luggage and it wasn't just me it's not just about me but there's families with children 
There's elderly people. There's business travelers, folks who have commitments. Well, first of all, they got to drag their luggage going on the better part of two miles to get to the airport. And then once they get to the airport, they find all these ragtag protesters, and, and they've missed their flights. They can't get in. And the protesters are happy, and they're celebrating that, hey, we've caused all these people to miss their flights. Right. Well, okay. Sage Steele puts out this this Instagram about it, and she's immediately, first of all, criticized. Oh, how dare you be so insensitive? Don't you understand? These people are just doing this great stuff. Well, okay. The the bottom line is just you have a right to protest, but at some point in time, when you start doing these annoying protests and affecting everybody's lives, there ends up being a backlash because you become part of a group that nobody wants to be a member of. And have we reached that point? Probably not yet. But the longer and longer that this goes on, I don't think there's any question that among what I'm going to describe as, again, that the the silent majority of people, you're, you're going to have a lot of people saying, you know, I, I okay, I, I understand that maybe you can be upset that he, you know, he didn't quite do the green card thing the way we should but you know is there really anything wrong with some extra vetting of people who want to come in from countries that are on the the state department's terror watch list i mean is that really this unreasonable sort of position and again the the anti-trump hysterics and the here the anarchists well okay yeah to them yes because they are anarchists but that's really not where this country is drew in illinois drew you're on 620 wtmj good morning Hey, good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm with it with the protests and everything. I just think in general, it's all it's gotten way too much just from uh, the protests on the news. I mean, every time you're you're going out and blocking streets. I mean, I don't take all the protests as seriously. They're out waving signs and doing things. I think right. if you were taking better action to actually go go to your congressman, do the things you need instead of going out in the public. I mean. It's the same way with, I'm just seeing my Facebook account as well, because too many of my friends that were political on both sides of the fence, and I consider myself more of a moderate, would take fake news sites and post bits and pieces. Right. Donald Trump did this, Hillary did that. You know, it's it, it just, it's enough. I mean, it's, to go through and see these in the news feeds and Facebook and the, see it continually in people yeah. putting in the comment sections and the articles on the newspaper, it's just like, there is no way we're going to come together if we continually divide each other like that on little things like this. Well, right, and I also wonder, see, I, I, yeah, yeah, see, I'm with you, and I also kind of wonder, thanks for the call, I wonder what, at some point in time, you you know, you it, it, it kind of goes back, it's like, okay, what are you protesting, the line from the movie, what are you protesting, okay, what do you got? And again, it's, I think that what is going on here is there is a segment of society that that plays into the, the mainstream left arguments that Donald Trump's not legitimate. He didn't win the popular vote. So, OK, well, all right. Well, you didn't have to win the popular vote. He is the president. And now we don't like these things that Donald Trump is going to do. And I understand why there's some fair criticism of Trump, like I say. But this idea that we're going to be obstructionist and we're going to block everything. We saw that play out in Wisconsin in 2011 with this completely over-the-top reaction to Act 10. Remember back then the argument was, oh, this is going to destroy Wisconsin. Public education is going to crater. Public education hasn't cratered. Oh, this is going to be the end of you know public works. This entire quality of life in the state is going to decrease because we're asking public employees to pay a little bit more towards their health insurance and towards their retirement funds. No, it it was just the reaction was so completely and totally over the top and out of line in reaction to what ultimately the policy was, and it turned people off. 
I firmly believe that at some point in time, if the protests continue like they are, and the idea is we want to obstruct everything, as opposed to picking and choosing, because Lord knows, now I'll get emails from the right, Lord knows there are going to be things that Donald Trump does that I think are subject to legitimate criticism and angst over. I, I Lord knows there's going to be some of these legitimate things that are out there. But if it's just this scattershot thing that here, we're going to protest and we're going to go to the Democrat senators' houses and we're going to say, okay, Tammy Baldwin, you need to obstruct. You need to vote against anything Trump is going to do. Well, okay, that, that's fine. Do that. But like I say, is that really a club that you want to be a member of? All right, we've got a special WTMJ today coming up. I'll tell you about the people that are going to be handling that and a couple more things as well. It is 1153. That's next. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1156. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A couple quick reminders. Billy Joel playing at uh, Lambeau Field. Announced this morning at 10 o'clock. Actually, TV had destroyed. It was all over TV a week ago, but it was embargoed to 10 o'clock this morning um, officially. Doesn't make any sense to me, but regardless, uh, Billy Joel, Lambeau Field, June 17th, we have your opportunity. Go to our website, WTMJ.com, your opportunity to win two premium tickets. In addition, each day next week on my show, I'll be giving away a pair of tickets. If you've missed anything, we do podcast the program. You can just go to WTMJ.com, click on the Wagner Show page, and you can download podcasts of the show. You can also sign up to be notified when new podcasts are posted, all those sort of things. We have reached the point in the day where I, I don't have to go home, but I can't stay here because WTMJ Today is coming up. And I'll tell you, a, an interesting group of hosts today, <laughs> Steve Scafidi, mayor of Oak Creek, back. Good morning. Back for my sixth time, I think. Back, but who's counting? Okay. Absolutely. All, All right. been great. Looking forward to today. That's it. And, of course, Michelle Richards, uh, who we normally hear in the morning. But yes. now, you're, what time did you have to come in today? Eight o'clock. <laughs> it was so late. So you got to sleep in. I nice. did. I'm Good. so rested right now. Okay. Watch and, out, everyone. <laughs> and a, a woman who's becoming sort of a regular voice here. If for the six and a half years I, I did TV, um, she was one of my counterparts on the various segments we did on today's TMJ4, What's Hot, those type of things, and a regular panelist for me on our Week in Review from the um, uh, Realtors, right? Realtors, <laughs> so I just drove blank there. Tracy Johnson, right? Commercial Association of Realtors. That's me. Great to be here. Okay, so what do you collectively, what do the three of you have coming up on WTMJ well, today? Obviously, obviously going to talk a lot about Billy Joel. Big news coming to Lambeau. That's going to be a big story. Traveling Beer Garden. Who doesn't like that story? Obviously, <laughs> coming to Oak Creek this year, which is a you know breaking news. Uh, four at one, always interesting things happening in the news. At two o'clock, there ought to be a law, which is one of the caller's favorite uh, segments. So, right, things that you would like to to see, right. or or actually, in my case, it's always been I'd like to see laws enforced. Like for example, on my way into work every day, there's this one there's this one red light. Um, it's Hampton and Lydell, if the police in Glendale and or Whitefish Bay are listening. The, the next time I see somebody stop at that red light without trying to run it, if you're trying to cross Hampton, will be the first time I've right, seen somebody stop right. at the red light. If you want to like collect some money at the end of the month, just park a squad there. You will be pulling people over for running red lights right and left. But I get on my soapbox for that. Good stuff. And I've got a good one about residents and paying taxes. So 
Oh, coming from the mayor of Oak Creek, there residents and paying taxes. Steve Scafidi, Michelle Richards, and Tracy Johnson coming up on WTMJ Today. I am out of time. I'm back at 8.30 tomorrow when we do this all again. Hey, on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about the, the dumpster fire that is the Department of Transportation and whether or not all these plans to revitalize Grand Avenue whether they're really going to do anything at all. So tune in. That is all coming up. We start off the program with three big things. Have a great Wednesday. Stay warm. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1159.